Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, a podcast dedicated to living the good life. I'm Michael Moreno, a 38-year-old business owner, father of three girls, husband, and the Moreno Family Chief Security Officer. And I'm Lindsay Teague Moreno, 39 years old. I'm an author, speaker, mom, and wife. We believe the combination of your marriage, relationships, finances, spirituality, health, and work are the six cornerstones of a good life. As a team, we've explored what it would look like to change everything and demand more in all of these areas. We're about to take you on an audio journey of our story and everything we have learned through the really amazing and shame-filled parts. As a couple, we've been able to shift our mindsets around challenges and see them for what they really are, lessons that will help you build the life that works for you and not the other way around. So grab your partner, life or business, your favorite beverage, and get ready for a dose of reality. Oh. And we love Jesus, but we cuss a little. Now is the time to hide from your kids. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much for being back here today. Our favorite thing is going to be something that Michael loves. We're going to talk about a lot of favorite things, some things that are for girls, some things that are not. But Michael is our family chief safety officer and always is really good about keeping us safe and making sure that we are prepared (laughs) for situations. And so this product today is from him. Yeah, I take it very seriously. (laughs) This product is called Adalock. We're going to put the link in the show notes so you can see it and link to where to buy it. So Adalock, it's $18. It was invented by a European engineer. It's an amazing product. It's made with hard plastic and stainless steel. He made it so that way travelers and teachers could afford a strong security device for their doors. This is such a great thing. It goes right into your strike plate of your door handle and when it's engaged, someone from the outside it's going to take a lot of effort for them to get through that door so much so that you should have time to escape call the authorities they are going to create such a scene that it's going to create eyes on them so it's just a really secure product i highly recommend it teachers 18 dollars secure your classroom and for us we use it when we travel hotels airbnbs you name it we use it because i believe in it that strongly yep Yep. All right. So grab you an Adalock. The link to that product is in the show notes if you're having a hard time finding it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Boss Up podcast. I'm Lindsay Teague Moreno. And I'm Michael Moreno. And we are going to talk to you guys today about our story and our marriage. We want to start by telling you a little bit about us so you have some context as we talk about the things that we've learned and the things that we've come through and what our journey looks like so that you can say, oh, that's like me or that's very unlike me. I've never experienced that before because there's going to be some stuff that we talk about that misses you completely. But there might be some stuff that is very similar that we have gone through that, that actually might help you. And that's really where we want to dig in is are the places that we can connect where our stories intertwine your story and where we can help you navigate some things that maybe you aren't sure of or some things you hadn't thought of or ways to view a situation so that you change your mindset. Exactly. Maybe even new talking points, right? Even the same question that you've been asking yourself or someone important in your life, but just worded differently that maybe has the impact is what I have found. Yep. And I often can see stuff in myself when I hear other people's stories. So we really want to be honest with you guys and upfront about our story and kind of how that looks. And so we're going to tell you guys today a little bit about our marriage story, how we met, what what our marriages look like so far. 
spoiler alert, it's been a emotional roller coaster. <laughs> we have done it all, all over the map in our 13 years of marriage. <laughs> we, we have gone through everything. And then we're going to tell you guys a little bit about us individually because we are very different people. There are some things that we share and are similar, but for the most part, we're very different. And I want you guys to hear that too, because I want you to be able to hear a piece of your marriage story in ours. Oh yeah, that's the same. It's similar. You know, my husband and I are alike in some ways, but very unlike in most ways. Mm -hmm. Or or we're very similar in that similar way too. Or we could never work together. Or we could definitely work together. Whatever that is, we want you to be able to take something from our story. So we're going to kind of tell you a little bit about that. All right? Exactly. Yeah, All right. I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay. I, I love it. <laughs> Michael's new to podcasting, but I'm so excited. Let's talk about us together. So we met in 2006 at an Arizona State football game. Washington State. Uh, played Washington State. Played Washington State, ASU won. They did. And then we got married about a year later. So we dated for about a year, I'd say seriously, for eight months, mm -hmm. probably, before we decided. I, I would say even seriously for less than that before we decided to get married. Both of us had come out of really long relationships. My relationship previous was 10 years, and his relationship previous was like... Off and on 12 and on. years. <laughs> <laughs> so just a little bit. Just, we've been in some relationships, and so we have figured out some of the things that worked and didn't work in a long-term relationship, and what we really wanted out of a relationship, and what we did not any longer want. <laughs> yeah, really. And, you know, with Lindsay and I coming from two very long relationships, we both understood each other right from the beginning. We also knew exactly what our non-negotiables mm -hmm. were, what we were willing to put up with, and what were absolutely no's. Yeah. And just so happened the first woman I met happened to be my <laughs> wife, and she met all the non-negotiables. That was a great start right out of the gate, a great punch. I met my wife right away. She yep. was my first date after my ex. Yep, and he was my first date after my ex, my first date date. So we met, and we found out that we worked very close to each other in the same building at the same company. Like 500 feet. And we were like, oh, awesome. When you live in cubicles... <laughs> Someone 500 feet away. That's right. You will never There's see There's a them. sea of cubicles. So we started talking back and forth in email. We started dating. We would meet each other. I was working two jobs at the time because I was bored with my life. I was living with my mom because I'm a boss. <laughs> well, I, I was living with my previous boyfriend. And when that ended, I was like, all right, well, I got to move somewhere. And I'm just going to move in with my mom until I figure this out. So I was actually living with my mom when I met my husband. <laughs> It's all good. So embarrassing. <laughs> I so, had a house. Yeah, we were he good. did. He had a full house. <laughs> we were on a little bit of different places in our life at that time. So we meet, we we get together, we love we love each other right away, like liked each other a lot right away. We had great chemistry right away, both intellectual and physical mm -hmm. chemistry right Absolutely. away. We wanted to spend all of our time together. I would say starting in like March ish was when we started talking about living together. Mm -hmm. We started talking to my mom about that. Talking about marriage. Talking about marriage, that. talking about going, like traveling together, that kind of stuff. So our first year was kind of getting to know each other. And then we ended up being married by December. The next year we met in September or November, excuse me. And we were married by December of the next year, 2007. And then in May or April of 2008, we had bought a house, we moved into our house, and then we got pregnant. And on purpose, we wanted to get pregnant. I was ready to have babies because I was 27 years old at the time. Michael was 26. And so we did what we planned on doing, you know, yeah. start trying to have babies. Do, do the whole American dream. Right? And listen, trying to have babies is awesome. It was super fun for us. 
I know not everybody has that same experience, but we, we really loved it. And so we got pregnant on a camping trip and came back to in surprise. Sedona. Those red rocks are real. Twins. Yeah, don't ever go have sex in Sedona if you don't want twins. You never know what will happen. So <laughs> that vortex is real. <laughs> so we surprised identical twins, which was crazy because when we first met, we discussed having kids. I didn't really want kids, but I knew that Michael would be an amazing dad. And so we said, okay, let's pretend we can control this. Yeah. And so Lindsay <laughs> came at me and she's like, okay, okay, I want a baby. I want a, a single child. baby. <laughs> and that came to the fact I loved her so much and I wanted children. And, and it wasn't a forced thing on the table of you have to want children or it's done. Right. It was truly something she woke up one day and was like, yeah, I'm ready. Baby. Yeah, she's like, you're, you're going to be a great dad. I now believe I will be a great mom. You know, she had some... Had some baggage. Some baggage sure. that, that, you know, people may have told her. She may have felt that she wouldn't have been an adequate mother when turns <laughs> out she's amazing. <laughs> so, so she came back and said, I want one kid. And I said, you know what? That's fantastic because I love you so much and I want a child. We'll make it work. And I said, you know what? I, I just want a boy because I, I grew up with a man that's one of the nicest men I knew and he had three daughters and the poor guy was going to go with on a heart attack <laughs> very early. I love him. Great family, but I don't know how he lived. I actually is what your words were. I was like, I don't I, know how he survived. Exactly. <laughs> just visualizing his life. I was like, okay, well girls just, if they're like that, I don't want any part of it because yeah. girls are mean to yes. each other. This is so boy. So, you know, man plans, God laughs. And <laughs> Lindsay Surprise. was pregnant with identical twin, twin girls. girls. So I laughed. I started laughing. And Lindsay started. When you found out there were twins. When we found out in the ultrasound. Yeah, I cried. And Lindsay started crying. I cried very much. I cried a lot. <laughs> I uh, well, was, was not scary. prepared. It, and it was scary. I was, I felt unprepared for one baby. And then someone was like, oh, by the way, here's an extra. <laughs> Oh, and, and I was like, we don't have the time or money for this. Oh, and by the way, it's identical twins naturally are very high risk. So get <laughs> ready for 35 weeks of stress like you've never felt. Yeah, it was insane. So we did 35 weeks of every single week ultrasounds, ultrasounds and Michael never missed one. If you have a husband that's willing to leave work and still have 400 hours of sick time built up, but is willing to leave for your doctor's appointments. You gotta keep a hold of that one. So he came to every single appointment. We had some really good ones. We had some really bad ones. And eventually at 35 weeks, we ended up delivering Boston and Tegan in an emergency C-section. They had twin to twin transfusion syndrome, which is where when you have babies that share a placenta, like ours did, where your body basically picks whichever one is gonna have the greatest chance of survival. And it starts giving all the really good blood to that baby, and it kind of shuts off the blood to the other baby so that they can, your body can make sure at least one of these is going to make it. We're going to repopulate the world with at least one of these if she can't keep two alive. So that was kind of scary. And we watched our baby B, Boston at the time, not grow. And so yeah. once that started to happen, they were like, all right, we've got to get him out of there because this baby's not getting enough fresh blood to keep, keep growing. So that's what we did. We, we emergency C-section, they came out. And we ended up getting to leave on time with Tegan, but Boston was in the NICU for three weeks. Days. Yep. And it was a really rough time. Michael Michael did the heavy lifting as far as Boston was concerned in the hospital because well, I couldn't. couldn't. It was during uh, RSV season, and she just had a baby, and she had to be there with Tegan as well. Yeah, so and they Tegan wouldn't let us home. bring Tegan back to the hospital. Yeah, it was so a crazy it was time. 
So we, we get through this, and, and I actually think that there was, like, kind of a side note here. I think that there was some uh, PTSD there was a trauma for, sure. for Michael during that time. Yeah. Yeah, throughout 35 weeks with this pregnancy, it was an ultrasound weekly doctor's appointment. But every week, the doctors always love to let us leave with a bit of information that either, hey, twin A, I hope she's alive next week when you come back. Thanks. Right. Well, I mean, nicer than that, but well, yeah. I know, I like, but twin, hey, this one only has a fifty percent survival yeah. rate right now. Twin Twin B's heart's not growing, so I don't know how that's going to work. We'll see next week. Okay, yeah. great. We yeah. get a whole seven days <laughs> crying, stressing about this, and I think the one and thing, notably, our mindset wasn't great during that time. We didn't know to we, not be upset about it. We, we didn't couldn't control we it. We didn't know. Lindsay was doing contracting work for a company that went bankrupt, so now we lost her income. We were down just to my income. With a new house mm-hmm. and two new babies on the way, oh. having these doctors telling us that one, they were only giving us a fifty percent chance that we will have both of our children at the end of this, and that they were really concerned that we will only leave with Tegan, which was baby A. Right. So for thirty-five weeks, that just started building up this wall, this defense as a dad of right thirty-five weeks of telling myself and just making a deal with God of just bringing these girls and I got okay. it from here. I will protect them with every drop of blood in my body. And that's happened. And in the ICU, it got proven again because I had to fight for my daughter. And unfortunately, I do get very emotional. And <laughs> well, and especially after that trauma. That was the first time I ever saw you absolutely lose it. Should I tell was right after that why, why I lost yeah, it? Let's okay, it. so here's here's why we lost it. Boston was in an incubator in the, NICU. in the NICU and she was doing well even though she looked so tiny, tiny. She was three pounds she started feeding well every time I was there Boston was taking a bottle for me she was feeding with me she was thriving with we were me. sending my milk down to we the were hospital. sending Lindsay's milk and I was feeding her but when I would go home at night because they wouldn't let me stay there one nurse would push uh, Boston's food through the feed line well, when you do that, it resets the clock to 48 hours, at least it was then, that now your child, it's failure to thrive. Yeah. And so you have to wait until they could eat on their own for 48 hours before they could go home. Every feeding. And it was this one particular nurse. So finally, I saw a trend. I felt it was incorrect. And Michael made a scene. <laughs> In the NICU, He did. I was like, what? Because uh, this was not the Michael I knew at that time. Because I had it. I wanted my daughter. I made a promise with God, and he delivered. Now it was my time to fight. And here's So the you thing. thought. So I thought. And here's the thing. Because I got resolution out of it. Yeah. I got the CEO of the hospital <laughs> to get into the NICU and hear me out. And you know what? Boston was home within 72 hours. That's right. So that, to me, I think I told myself. This is how I have to be. This is how it has to be. This is me. This is the new Michael because this is how things get done. Well, and this is what I promised. this is what I promised. And this shows I have to be this person for my family. Yeah. And honestly, that's not right. Yeah. And side side (laughs) note, I think neither of us believe that God is is the God of making deals. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, we both believe that. Thank you. It was just the... Like the thing that you did at that point in your desperation. Exactly. It was in that that time of stress, nervousness, unknown, and uncontrolled. And I hold on control so much that I lose control. You know, I'm sure. And I think you didn't like at that time I think that was the version of God that you knew too. Oh correct. 
you've Correct. progressed a lot in spiritually Absolutely. as far as what you believe about God. Absolutely. At that time, you all you knew was your previous church stuff. Correct. Right? I was sold a bad God. I agree. And that's yeah. complete. And I was sold a God. I didn't even understand or know. No, or and I'm knowing him now. Yeah. So yes. And you'll find in this podcast, I, I start talking and Lindsay helps me bring it back in and, and give a nice, you know, what, what we're to take away Same. from this talk. So that babies, was the trauma. Tra- trauma was rough. That was a real time of trauma for Michael. And then we get the, the babies out of the NICU. Huge issue. We overdrew our account on a $1 Redbox movie. I thought it would be fun, you know, since we were up all night to watch Tropic Thunder at like 2 on Christmas in the morning. Eve. It was Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's a fun to wake up to on Christmas morning knowing we, you have, <laughs> you actually owe the bank like $30 for a $1 TV. But it was Tropic Thunder and worth every penny. Still laugh about it. Uh, that year we did, we did Christmas from our wedding gift cards the year before. Yep. and We had a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You know, man. We had our daughters. We, and, that was all and, we needed. And that's all that mattered. Yep. But yeah. So they come home. Everything's good, right? We, we finally get them into a schedule, but we can't afford to diaper them or feed them, right? So we start to get a little bit desperate around that time. I started to get kind of freaked out. Micah was freaking out. We were both stressing over money. Like, how are we going to make this work? We can't even buy diapers for our preemies because they didn't fit into the diapers that we got for all of our showers. Right during your showers, they give you size one. Well, our kids were in these little tiny baby like, preemie things that look like they fit a Barbie. The little tiny doll. baby diapers. Yeah. So we were having to find money to buy diapers. It was it was a really stressful time. And I'll tell you, one of the times I felt the biggest failure was having a brand new baby and not being able to pay for that baby to eat food. Oh, right. And and di- have a diaper and have basic necessity. I mean, growing up. All I, when someone would say, Michael, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a husband and a father. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I I wasn't the guy that said the goal was always to be a doctor or astronaut or or anything like that. I mean, I had career ambitions, but ultimately what I've always wanted is a wife and a family, daughters to love and, and really show what true love and what a loving family would look like yep. and right out of the gates <laughs> I felt like I I was failing that yeah. I was ruining my own dream like you would think I'd be preparing for this for 26 27 years for this day and then the day's finally here and that's the brokest day I've been since yep. I've been an adult yes and yes that sucks. Ass. yeah that was an experience that hurt real bad going in but on the outside coming out the way that it has changed our life has been profound. The struggle has been profound in our life, in our marriage, in our relationship with our kids, in all relationships, in all the ways that we do life. That was one of the hardest things and it has affected us profoundly in a positive way. Yeah, well, and I think, exactly. And we, from the beginning, before we got married, we threw down on the table, like, we get married, we get through this together. Yeah. And it's going to be messy. It's not going to be fun. You know, we may not like each other yep. so much at times, yep. but we're going to respect each other and we're going to stay committed yep. and get through this. And as this podcast goes on, you're going to hear how we have been challenged. And this one, right out of the gates, we're just a year Barely married. Barely a year into marriage. And, they were born we on December 7th, December. and our first anniversary was December 1st. And so the first year we dealt with that, and that was just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 
So God provides, right? As, as always happens. I'm out trying to look for jobs. I was applying for night stocking jobs so that I could feed and watch the girls during the day while Michael went to work. And then he would come home and he would take over and then I would do a night shift, right? And this is what we were going to do. We were just going to rotate and not see each other. Yeah. And that was going to be the way it was. It was what we had agreed to. No problem. I went out the very next day and started applying oh, for jobs. That was like as a, <laughs> Costco, as a, as Target. A and I know I'm not the only one out here and I know everyone's situation is, is different. But as a husband, again, like I said, my life dream was this. Yeah. And then to see his wife that had just given birth like three weeks ago out there trying to find a job, any job, is heart breaking to me. Like I couldn't do it. I couldn't step up. It was my time to step up and I didn't show. Yeah, you that's did. how I you would have taken another job at that time. I was looking for another job. I was doing all the overtime I could, but still deep down my ego yeah. got smacked it was a blow. that day. And you know, it sucked. But I think also taught you a lot, right? Like say if something happens to you, you know that I'm going to be able to take care of the kids, right? And if something happens to me, I know you're going to be able to take the kids, and we've both proven it at one point in our marriage. Well, and exactly. We have always said, and we have always done, no matter what, if what we have is gone tomorrow, I will do any job there is. Yes. I don't. Mike, I will sweep the floor. Mike Rowe, call me. Give me a dirty <laughs> job. I will clean a sewer. I don't care. Yes. If it puts food on my family's table, I don't care what it is, all the nasty stuff you could think of, Michael's going to do it to yep. put food on the table for his family. So you could go ahead and go there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so God provides this job. My old job calls me and says, we've got this opportunity. We really want you to work from home. Do you Do you want this? Holy shit. Oh, my God. We, was... I wanted, I like fell to my knees. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that she, night. Because she just came back and everyone was like, oh, you're too qualified. They called me overqualified for every job that I put in for. Oh, you just had a baby. Huh? Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, I know what you're getting at. You yeah. can't say the word because it's illegal, but I know what you're yeah. saying. So I couldn't get a job at Target or Costco, but my old job called me and said, hey, we know you have experience. We'd like you to do this. Does this sound like it's going to work for you? Hey, we'll give you a pay raise. <laughs> I was the same, in the same day. It was like two hours after we were done crying of like, how we what are we going to do job? now? We were starting to work on, okay, here's what how we, we start skipping bills. <laughs> here's how we start selling. Here's what we like, right? That's I where can give we a went to, right? <laughs> donate blood, donate something yeah, else, whatever. whatever. And I'm telling you, two hours after we were finally done, we created a plan of attack for the next day. Lindsay got a call. And they didn't even know she was looking for a job. It was crazy. They had no idea. They just wanted to see if she was interested because she was no longer uh, yeah. with the university. Yeah, the university. Yeah. So I get this job and it takes off. Michael and I started our master's program at that point. Both of us were getting our master's in uh, organizational, organizational psychology. psychology, which is the study of how groups work together. And we both decided we would be able to do uh, online faculty and we could teach online college courses and I thought oh you know psychology would be the most fun thing to teach so let's go do that and that's great, why we did it great side money <laughs> great you side know, money teaching. yep and I knew I could stay home with my kids and do faculty on the side so we decide this is the plan we're going to both get our master's degree which we do and along the way I get pregnant again <laughs> on purpose after we oh, had the yeah. twins before I'm laughing they... <laughs> because of 
what happens from even from the time that we have the kids to finishing the master's degree. <laughs> so along the way it, of our master's degree, we decide the twins turn one. And we're like, I wonder what another baby would look like, right? <laughs> because we have these two and they look exactly alike. You know, like it feels like almost one child. I'm ready for another one. Michael's like, I'm ready for another one. And so we went ahead and, and went for it. And boom, right away, December 1st, I went off birth control. Middle of December, I was pregnant. Happy New Year. <laughs> so yes, I find out I'm pregnant in January. We're still doing our master's program. And so September comes around. My mom flies out from Phoenix to be with me as Kennedy is going to be born. And we're so excited. We're trying to have a VBAC. That didn't work out because Kennedy was not coming out in time. <laughs> so we have another C-section. Kennedy comes. My mom's there to see it. And she flies back home. We buy her a ticket to come back a couple weeks later. And in between that time when we flew her home and when she was coming back out, uh, Kennedy was three weeks old. She died of a massive heart attack. So Michael had gotten a call from my stepdad. Yeah, so <clears throat> it was like Lindsay had just received her privilege for driving again. <laughs> and, and during the, her pregnancy with uh, Kennedy she developed a liking for spicy food. So she went out to go get food for us. And during that time, when she left and came back, her stepdad, my father-in-law, called me. But I was working on, on work, so I, I skipped it, but he just repeatedly kept calling me. So I, grabbed I didn't the, know that. Yeah, so I grabbed the phone, I pick it up, and I was like, hey, Joe, what's up? Lindsay's not here, because why does he want to talk to me, right? And uh, <laughs> why do I want to talk to him? Um, <laughs> So I'm on the phone with Joe, and he says, are you sitting down? Is Lindsay there? And I said, actually, Lindsay's gone. And he said, okay, I need to tell you something. And then he proceeded to go into a conversation. And as Lindsay is pulling up, as I'm falling to my knees mm -hmm. on the sidewalk, mm -hmm. hearing that her mother had just passed, and my wife is pulling up, and now she's wondering why I'm on I was my like, what are you doing? What are you doing the, out there? On the sidewalk. He was like on, on his knees. Phone, and I could not get words out of my mouth. So I had to come inside and, and I sat her down and I told her, you know, this is, just imagine me barely getting these words out, choked up, But you did it, you did not cry. It's hard. It still to this day is the hardest thing I've ever had to tell anybody. And I proceeded to tell her that her mother passed away. And this whole time she thought it, I was getting ready to tell her it was her grandmother. Mm -hmm. Because Lindsay's mom was crazy Great healthy. Health. Walked the golf course every day, did like, and then added a spin yeah. class or, and she just was full of life, but she passed away and boom, there was another thing on us. Yep. And honestly, during that time too, we were dealing with losing our house in Arizona due to the recession. Yeah. So we had moved to Colorado for Michael's job and we had kept our house in Arizona and we were like, okay, we'll just rent it out and then we'll try to just float both for a little bit while we can because we're not we're not ready to sell yet like we loved our house in arizona it was the first house we bought together and we couldn't get our money out of it and i never thought we'd leave arizona and not come back okay, i was just exactly. assumed we would be back because that's where we grew up it's where we met each other it's like our whole lives are in arizona yeah. our families were there everything so we leave arizona we're we're in colorado things are starting to get really tight even with my job and michael's job but we're making it work we finish our master's degree we graduate Mom dies. People stop paying rent on <laughs> the house. People stop paying rent on the house. And so we have a choice. We are either going to 
foreclose on the house or we were going to try to short sell it. So we got a realtor. My mom was a realtor in Arizona. We got a friend of hers that helped us, did us a solid and helped us short sell the house. And it was a huge ego blow, I think, for both of us to lose the first thing that we had like bought together and to be able to say, like, we can't afford this. We're freaking adults and we can't afford right. our life. We, we start our life. We say we say we're adults. We could have kids, oh start a family. And then that's when we don't have a job, don't have enough money, yeah. lose a house. Yeah. It just felt right out of the gates the first couple of years. Like, man, we we're just getting dealt a blow after blow. Yep. And this is still within the first three years of our marriage, three, mm-hmm. four, four years of our marriage. Mm-hmm. We, we moved every year for the first what eight eight years. years we were married we moved every single year with our kids to other cities other states even mm-hmm. you know we we lost a house we we got married we got pregnant we almost lost our kids we had a kid in the NICU we rented we, houses everywhere we, we, we went we married with multiples you know we we're married and we have kids with that multiples that divorce rate is a 50 percent divorce mm-hmm. rate which you know everyone love to tell us that statistic when they <laughs> when we told them we were pregnant with twins oh you know oh. people with multiples they have a 50 percent marriage rate and i'm like thanks dude <laughs> like they're trying to prime you right yeah they're trying to tell you this is going to fail and don't listen to that noise yep flip that and when they say they don't last say you know what 50 yeah, percent do last do. yep they yep. say 50 percent don't i say 50 percent do yep and actually we're going to change that we're going to raise that statistic yep 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 so Mom dies. We're we're dealing with all of that. We lose the house, and at that (laughs) new newborn, we're in Reno at this time. Potty training twins. Yeah, we moved to Reno, and in Reno, I've got a one year old and two three year olds. And Michael and I lose the house, and we make an agreement on the day that we lose that house that we will not buy another house until we can pay for it in cash. Yep. And we shook hands that night. This is what we're going to do. We're going to rent everywhere we go until we have enough money to buy our house in cash. And that was kind of like our very first, I think, group goal. Solid family goal. It really and was. also that was an, another thing people said. Oh, well, you'll never smart. be able to do that. Don't You're do that. That's do not that. smart. Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, you need the tax break. Yeah, go ahead you and get the, the benefit. Debt. Add it on. Yeah. I mean, listen, carry a mortgage. I get it. We have mortgages. We just got burned. We got burned by it. And if you've ever been burned and had a short sell, foreclose, lose a home, you know that feeling. Yep. I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to have those conversations with with the mortgage people and the banks and and knowing I couldn't fulfill a commitment. Mm-hmm. Like I base my life on fulfilling my commitments. Yeah, because it's not like we were like irresponsible asshole adults. We, we really weren't. We were trying our best. We just, there was a recession. We bought our house in February of 2008, right before the market took a crap. Yeah. And here's the thing. So we sold our house, obviously, short sell for less than what we owed. We paid that off we did. over time. I didn't stick that to the bank or anyone to bail us out. I got the mortgage company, which was phenomenal, worked with me. They created a system for me. And we paid off. Yeah, we did. We paid off the balance. the chain, the difference between what we sold the house for and what we bought it for. It Years hurt every later. month, but we did it, yeah. and that it's does the right feel thing good. To do. It was the right thing to do. So now we're in Reno. Things are rough. I have a hard time there because at that time I had a job selling Goodwill clothes on eBay yeah. at that time. So in in Colorado here, I would go on Saturdays. They had ninety nine cent days. And I would buy a bunch of really nice clothes or the nicest things I could find for 99 cents a piece. I'd take it home and then I would list it all on eBay and flip it. And then the next week I would go back and do the same thing. 
And so I was doing that in Colorado when we moved to Reno, the way that the Goodwill worked there was completely different. And I just couldn't get product at the price that was worth it for me to sell it on eBay. I couldn't flip it anymore, right? Because everything was too expensive there. So I couldn't do that. Again, we found ourselves, me without a job, us struggling financially. We've got three kids. And on top of that, personally, I think we were both miserable in Reno. Yeah. Oh, we were miserable. And every time we moved, it was for a job promotion. Mm -hmm. Except for the first time we moved from Arizona to Colorado was truly a leap of faith. And we used every last bit of savings to get us there. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Now, every job was a promotion for me. So things were a little bit better. A little, better, a little bit better, a little but bit better, a little bit better. But in Reno, it took a toll on us personally. Yeah. More than anything in Reno. We didn't uh, know anyone Reno. there. Didn't know anything about isolated. that area. The people were different than us. The churches there were different. We didn't ever really plug into a church that we felt like got us. Yeah, we could never really connect with the family. We met, uh, you know. Met uh, one, one couple one that couple, we really loved. And they're still our, our still friends. great friends today. But hey, Mara. It, it was just a, it was a, a, a weird, trying time. For Lindsay and I, and it was also coming truly on the heels of huge personal new baby loss. <laughs> adding three kids. You know, now we have three kids. You lose your mother at fifty three, mm-hmm. and just lost a house. Just lost we a suck. house, and we're <laughs> in a whole new place, far away from family that you could lean on, far yep. away from friends that you could lean on. In yep. Colorado, Lindsay had her best friend here. Yeah, like we were a twelve hour car drive. I know it's a car drive, but we were there to Arizona, right? We just felt lost and i think we started shutting down talking to each other <laughs> during this time we were just trying to get just through make the through the day really yeah. really you want to tell the story about uh why we moved from there from reno yeah oh um, okay so we were in reno for two days shy of one year and i was with my employer for about 13 years this and was in 2012 this was in 2012 i was with them 12 13 years and i was doing well i started to progress and there was the career path was laid out in front of me and it was a great one it was everything I wanted at that time but they came to me and said you're doing a great job in Reno we're going to keep you there for five years I knew what Reno was doing the personal Mm -hmm. cost Mm -hmm. and it just was not sitting well so instead of telling Lindsay I just kept using every resource I could calling in every favor to get out of Reno and nothing against if you're from Reno listen I, it's nothing. It great just there. it wasn't a it place for my family, yep. and I was struggling with this. And so one Saturday, Lindsay and I took the girls to the mall, and there was only really one mall at that time in Reno that we could go to. And in there, it just the entire time it just felt uncomfortable. It did feel I uncomfortable. didn't feel safe with my kids there. Same. I, it just didn't feel right. Both and of our spidey senses. Were going I just off. was going to say spidey senses. So we left. Getting in the car, I was putting in the kids, and as I was shutting the door, and I had been praying on this, I see this cab go by, and it's just plastered with girls on poles, strip club posters, right? Yep. And it hit me, and it was my voice telling me, but it said, you cannot raise your daughters in this environment. You are going to get out, and you're going to do it today. I got in the car, I looked at Lindsay, and I said, I'm leaving. I'm yeah. leaving my job. That was and crazy. Was I was like, like what? Because if you know me or my family, job stability is ingrained into mm-hmm. the Morenos from when you're born. The Morenos go to work. You get a job. <laughs> you show up 15 minutes early. You stay 15 minutes late. You keep it till you retire. Then you get your pension. You're yep. a company man. Yep. We all have subscribed to that. Yep. So I get in the car and tell Lindsay, 
I'm the how person. She's good at, at changes. She adapts well. I'm not. So when she hears me saying, hey, I'm leaving this job after 12 years, now that I'm finally getting promoted and recognized yeah. and getting the accolades that I've been striving for, I well, told and you're her I'm steady. You're so steady. Yeah. Because I like steady. I like yes. stability. I like control. Yeah. That night, I submitted for five jobs. Within a week, I heard back from two. One of them was a job I actually sent my resume in through Craigslist. Oh, my God. Craigslist. And that ended up being the company I went with. Short story, we ended up going through 13 rounds of interviews. Oh I get offered the job to Portland, Oregon. and I, On Kennedy's birthday. On Kennedy's birthday. September 2013. Yeah. No, 12. 2012. And I turn him down. I say, no, it's not worth it. And I was like, what? Yeah. Then the end of the day, they call back and they actually offer me my dream position. And it was a college president mm-hmm. in Seattle, Washington, a place we would love to move to. I was like, what? But I had to go through the interview process again. So after 19 rounds of interviews, <laughs> I call in sick. As I'm heading out to California, I meet with the COO and the CEO of this new college I'm interviewing for. They informally offer me the position. I walk out, I get on the sidewalk and turn my phone on. I have a voicemail informing me to call my boss's boss. And that phone call was to inform me that I had just been laid off. <laughs> this was Friday. And they said, well, can you come into the office? I said, well, funny thing is, I did call in sick, but I'm in California looking for another job. Thank God oh I listened. Oh, my gosh. But Lindsay stressed for the next 48 hours. Like, I, I was straight, fine. for 48 hours, I did, like, this fasting prayer thing. But she <laughs> wasn't in the room. Like, I take, hey, if you shake my hand and you say deal, that's a deal. You break that, we're going to have problems. <laughs> I shook the hands of CEO and a CEO and said, we have a deal. I felt confident, but again, right? We had just been burned so many times. No, we didn't have enough money to sustain without your income. And if we go one paycheck cycle without money, we were toast again. Yep. Right. And and we have nobody. Like yep. our bailout is no nobody's. One. Like social services is That's our bailout. It. And so Monday morning, the job offer came in. Oh my gosh, I have never <laughs> felt more relieved in my whole life. Wouldn't you know? They doubled my salary. <sighs> When I saw that number, we you want to say what it was? Go ahead. It was 125000 was his base salary. And I thought we just won the motherfucking lottery. Oh, I was like, done. Lindsay's not working anymore. Girls could go be little ballerinas, whatever <laughs> the hell they want. I got it now. It's done. From here, we are off, baby. All the work you put in, I got you. Oh, my gosh. It felt so good. So, within days, we're already packing up our house and we're moving to Seattle which we had to front the money for, and we did not have. We didn't have the money to move ourselves. Boy, we so played with credit cards. We played with credit cards, and then we had to track down a paycheck early, our moving expenses early. Yeah. Like We had to like drive to downtown Seattle <laughs> to try to get the moving expenses because we did not have the cash yeah. to move ourselves and then pay the deposit for the next place. Like yeah. it just like when you're renting from place to place, you have to put first month's and deposit down, and, and I remember that being such a struggle. Such a struggle. Man, they hawked thousands of your dollars. Thousands. Thousands of, yeah. of dollars. And, and it was, it was, it was just rough. so, so hard. But mm-hmm. 
It we was needed. It we was needed. There. We yep. got there. Got to Seattle. And in Seattle, Michael takes off. Like, he gets to his job. He starts. He's amazing at it. It's where he thrives. I feel Thank like you, you were. We did found great. a sweet spot. We, we did a great thing in Seattle. We yep. helped a lot of great people. We mm-hmm. helped a lot of people get off the streets and a lot of veterans getting their mental health in order, getting their physical health in order, and getting them a job. Yep. Getting yep. them educated, getting them some skills to get back out there on the street. And if you're in Seattle, if you've been to Seattle, you know what I'm talking about. In my parking garage, I mean, I would have to step over needles. And it's not all of Seattle. Seattle's amazing. It's beautiful, great people. But there is a problem there still. Yep. And to know, like, you're helping some of these people change their lives and their families' lives, that's what meant to me. Yep. The money was great for my family. But the personal fulfillment, I grew up with a mom that provided for a single mom, worked at Taco Bell, and, and, uh, and cleaned hotel rooms to provide for her kids. So uh, me being the son of a single mom that struggled like that, it gives me so much fulfillment and it fills me up with love to help others out and to get them off the street and to change another single mom's or single father's life and their children's life and their families and the generations to come after that. That's why I loved working in education. And he would go to work and leave all of his emotional capacity there, right? There was a lot, as you can hear, there's a lot of empathy for the people at that job. I think that was your first real experience with extreme need extreme. at that time. Like extreme. you had homeless students at that times. And I think that that affected Michael it, it, in it a was, profound way. Yeah. And so he would come home to us at the end of his work day and he was all out of emotion. Like it was all gone. Was it, it was already left at work. And I understand that, but I wasn't thriving as a stay at home mom at the time. And that was when, once we finally stopped having to worry so much about what money was going to take care of us. We started to be able to shift our focus into other things that worry us. And I had the privilege to finally decide, Hey, you know what? This stay at home mom thing, it's not doing it for me. I finally had the privilege to do that because that is a privilege. It's a privilege that not everyone has. If you're constantly worried about where's the money going to come from, that's your most important need, right? Where I'm going to put shelter over my head. How am I going to feed my kids. Those are needs, right? But then as soon as those things are taken care of, it frees you up to be able to kind of think about other things and other problems that aren't as a high priority. And for me, that was my happiness during the day. And so now we had the money and I started to feel unhappy. Money actually made me feel unhappy and it wasn't the money. It was just what the money revealed to me. Yeah. Good point. I couldn't escape that feeling as I was taking the girls to dance class and doing the play dates and doing all the things that I thought moms were supposed to do. I finally just admitted to myself, I actually hate this. I hate all of this. I don't want to do it anymore. I am smarter and more capable and more competent than what motherhood is offering me. There's something more out there for me. But I was ashamed to say it as I've watched all these other moms go and do it and actually love it. And I was jealous of that. And I was ashamed that I didn't feel that way because my kids are amazing kids. They're awesome. They're easy. They're they're good freaking kids who are easy to parent and I wasn't loving it. And so at that time, I finally had a business chase me down the road and I, I call it a God thing. That business was a God thing for me where I kind of ran away from it for a couple of months because I was skeptical 
of it. I was an MLM skeptic. Well, and we both had the bad same, same bad experience. Bad experiences um, in the previous. And so, so I started loving this product, and then I found out it was an MLM product. I was really upset about it. I remember having a conversation with Michael about how I felt like, oh, that's not cool. She didn't tell me. I don't want to do this business. People are trying to push me into selling this. I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm here for, right? And so uh, for a couple of months, all I did was talk about what I was loving on the product side. And this business kind of formed underneath me. And for me, that was a God thing. Finally, after two months, I couldn't run away from it any longer. The money started coming in. And as soon as I saw those dollar signs, I realized this is the way that I can help our family change the way we live completely. Like not even a semblance of a regular life. And I had complete and utter confidence in the fact that Michael and I would be millionaires by the time the year was up. And I would tell him that stuff. And to be honest, it what it didn't go great. Yeah, because <laughs> this is what I was hearing. You're not enough. Yeah. And she never... You're not bringing in enough. Yeah, right. My ego, let, let me say that, my ego was telling me, not Lindsay, or my ego was saying, man, Michael, you're not enough. You're mm-hmm. not doing enough. You're not providing enough. You're not giving enough. There's something missing. What are you Because if not you were, doing? she wouldn't be looking exactly. at this job. Exactly. Are you giving it your all at work? So what did I do? I was working extra before the sun came up to the sun came down. I was traveling two weeks a month. I was taking phone calls, working Saturdays. I was canceling vacations, on which us, separated us more, which created more and more of a separation because I was playing out in my head that she wants this. She needs me to step up in some other form. Right. And that's the only way I knew because up until this point, finances have always been the number one issue and not arguments, but just issue. The black cloud hanging mm-hmm. over our relationship, our mm-hmm. marriage was finances. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe we're still not there yet. And so I was just digging in and yep. putting my heels in further and further. But and we I were fighting more and, and more. We were fighting more and more, but we weren't talking we weren't and communicating. communicating. Yep. Yep. So about six months down the road, I'm making good money at this point. About six months down the road from when I first drew a paycheck on the product to when we had this conversation, I was now making, I want to say 9,000 bucks a month. Oh, irritating to me. <laughs> it was? Yeah. Well, it was I irritating. Mean, because it's like, it, it was the ego was irritating to me. Yeah. Yeah. And by all means, everybody. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? I, I get it. Yeah. I sound like an ass. Call you me just ass. wish you were the care. one that made it. It was just like, man, why? But I wanted her to have this stay at home life. Yeah. I was still thinking this is what Lindsay wanted. So why is she sacrificing and working this much? So I was thinking she needs this much more. So Michael, get Step on your up. doctorate program, start yeah. my doctorate program. Yeah. Cause I wanted to be the dang CEO. Like yeah. this is where I needed to get. And that's what I, my wife and my daughters deserved. Yep. Yep. And, and truly, the problem was is that I hadn't communicated with him. I hadn't been honest with him about how I was feeling and what I wanted. So one night we went to dinner and it was in a neutral place. Like we had been fighting back and forth where Six some big months. fights, some little fights, we make fun of little jabs, little little comments here and there that are hurtful but on purpose. Every little comment created a greater distance yep. between us. Yes. And think about it. We managed to get married, buy a house, lose a house, have another daughter, lose her mother, get through all that while moving states and states and states. But now we have a problem. Yeah. Now we have a problem. Now we, we have, have money. A problem. Money revealed a problem. And wow. Wow. So I sit down with him and I, and I come to the table in a neutral 
time and place. We go to dinner, we're having a date night, and I just flip over a napkin and I decide I'm going to go forward and tell him exactly how I'm feeling and I'm going to give him some facts about what I think this business is going to do. Because I need facts. And I think that women should be coming to the table with men with facts and feelings combined. Well, yeah, and, and there's some women, though, that need facts and feelings that's as well. That's true, that's true. I, I am an analytical person. Mm -hmm. I need to see, like, with everything going on in the news right now, I don't care what you say, show yeah. me the actual data. Yep. I need statistics. Well, and I think women tend to be a little bit more emotionally driven, and I think that's awesome. That's what makes us unique and amazing. Uh, and so I think a lot of women come forward with the emotion. They want to talk about the same thing over and over and over and over and over again because it, we want that emotion. We need to get that out. We need that emotional release, right? And I hadn't been doing that with Michael. I was not giving him my emotions and I wasn't giving him the facts about what I knew this business was going to do. Yeah. So I did that. So I did some math for him and I showed him, hey, look, this is the trajectory that we're on. Not only do I want to talk to you about how much money that we're making, I want to talk to you about you quitting your job. I want you to talk to you about you working with me because we're going to make so much money that we can finally do that and you can actually do the thing you wanted because you, like you've said, what Michael really wants is to be an amazing husband and an amazing father. And in order for him to do that, he has to actually see his kids. And when he was working in Seattle, we were canceling vacations and we were not doing that. He was seeing them for a couple hours at night or he was dropping them off at school in the morning and then and missing everything in between. That's and that's it. not the kind of father that Michael wanted to be. Oh, it brings tears to my eyes just, just thinking about it. And I am an emotional person. I do cry. I was raised by a single mom and with sisters. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's fine. And a bunch of ants around. Yes. But... My daughter stopped caring when I would leave and come home on work trips. They would consistently run to my arms when I came through the door. And honestly, it's been my dream for like since I was six. Like have kids run into your arms. Like, dude, that's like the most heartfelt thing of love. And it defined to me. I mean. And uh, well, for it children. Is. No, it's so yeah, cute. You know, I know. And I... they just got so used to me not being there and knowing dad just comes and goes and he's barely there. I was a non-factor. I felt like, dang, I'm a non-factor in their lives anymore. And Lindsay's like, I could give this back to you. That was powerful. Was you know, she used my own goals back on me. And it wasn't to be like, here, gotcha. It was like, Michael, she was extremely worried and she should have been that I was going to die at work at a very young age because... I had That's watched my mom do it and my mom ended up dying of stress. And I cared about my students and my staff so much that she thought I would stress myself into a heart attack. And so she explained that the reasons of why she was doing this, it was part of for her so she could have an outlet. Sure, I loved it. Yeah. And yep. and she, you know, she created an awesome mom sorority out of this, mm -hmm. you know. It was great. It was fun. But, but also the underlying was she was doing this for her husband. She was doing this for her daughters. She was doing this for her fulfillment. And I was going through the last six months thinking she was saying I wasn't enough. Yeah. So we had six months and needless but, fighting. But so I dumb. wouldn't take it back. Yeah. Because it got us to where we are, where we were. Mm -hmm. We needed those lessons. What bad communication can look like for years and then yep. when it shows its head yep. what, and how it what feels it exposes. on the other side when you have that fight and all of you do that yes. emotional vomit thing where you just vomit up all the stuff you haven't said it feels like shit to be on the person that says it and to be the person that hears it nobody wants that and that was the product of us not dealing with our stuff 
was that we would just vomit all over each other yeah. and then become enemies for a little bit. And that is not how a marriage should work. Well, yeah, we'd go enemies and just go radio silence, right? Yeah. I'm sure oh, I'm just not talking to you. Right? Right? Instead of, no, that's the time you got to talk. Like, you got to get through this stuff, but you got to respect each other doing that. Yeah. And you know what? What I've learned in the last year is the minute I know that I was the jackass in this argument, I call it out. Yeah, I, he does. In He's the middle of the it. argument, I go, whoa, stop. I, and I, I said, can stop. You're right. You, Yo, I you, just you, heard you, myself. I just heard, yeah, I, I heard myself from your perspective. You're right. I was out of line. And then we could talk right. there. But you know what? What I don't do, what I had been doing my entire life is saying, oh, crap, I'm wrong. Now let me get louder. Gaslight so, it. So Gaslight I could, it. I could get right because yeah. I'm not going to admit I'm wrong. She's not going to admit she's wrong. So we're going to just blow this up yeah, and we'll not talk to each deal. other. Instead of, you know what, saying, this is my wife. She's given me three daughters. She knows everything I want her to know about me. Why yep. can't I own up and say, hey, yeah, I fucked I up? Fucked up. Yep. And you know what? It's only made our relationships better. And she's like, okay, you fucked up. Now let's talk about this, right? Because there's so many times I would see someone on TV and I'm like, oh my God, buddy, you're screwing up. You're screwing yep, up. You're yep. screwing up. And then I'm like, I know I do it. Yep. But we don't see it when we're doing it. Yep. We see it after the fact. So once you see it, you call yourself out. It's going to help so much with the tension and the arguments and the communication when you know you're wrong, call it out. Even call if you out. started out thinking you're right, yep. own it. It sucks for the ego, yep. but deal with it. Yep. And that's what she was doing is she was giving me back what I've been praying for for these years. But I was bringing You were fearful in, and I what you were fearful. fearing is exactly what you were drawing and near. I was drawing all my fear near and then I was making facts out of bullshit. Mm -hmm. So if, if convincing she- Convincing Convincing myself that she was doing this because I wasn't bringing in enough mm -hmm. money and that I'm not smart enough mm -hmm. and I'm not a good at my job. She's doing this. And so I would build all these false scenarios and I would turn them into facts to, to play for my story, right? right? Mm -hmm. So I would just get internally more angry at her. And, and I was doing the same thing. Here. But it's I was doing the same thing because I was like, you know, it's fine for him to go and do what he wants to do, but he just wants me to stay home and be the little lady that stays my at home lady. for a little bit. And the thing is, is that I built that as a fact, knowing my husband. I know that that's not the person that he is. I know that. That's not the person that I married. And yet I was able to convince myself so easily that it was because our minds are so powerful. powerful. Our mindset is so powerful. And until we had that open communication, we didn't realize what we were doing to ourselves. So business takes off. We're, we're now at this point where we're talking about Michael coming to work with me. And I'm like, I'm drowning in business right now. I cannot do it by myself anymore. This business is big. And he's like, okay, let's set up some goals where if we can do that, if we can financially, we can make it work, then, then we're going to do that, right? And so the goals were six months of our expenses six in, in the savings. bank. He wanted me to bring in tw at minimum $20,000 a month for three months without my paycheck slipping backwards. Because when you sell an MLM, you're commission-based only. And so he wanted to show that he wanted me to be able to show that it was replicable Gross. and I could be able to continue to do that same thing over and over again so that he didn't leave his job with security to come to this fly by night thing and then have that thing shut down or me completely blow it up or I'm, I'm going to walk away from it mm -hmm. or some crazy thing, which I've known to do. That's that's me. I start a lot of projects and I don't finish them all. So why would he believe that I would finish everything? I don't know. Right. That was that's on me to explain to him how much it meant to me and what I was doing it for. So we finally do that, and then right away the next month, all of those goals that we had set, we met that month. So that was January of 2014, and we were still in Seattle at that time, 
And I, I just looked at Michael and I said, all right, we did it. Here you go. Here's our bank statements. And he was like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I showed you. I think I knew a little before you because yeah, I did the banking. Yeah. Uh, but I, I actually, no, she did the banking then because I, I actually had uh, losing the home, losing our jobs, all that. Gave you more PTSD. I, I actually, I stopped checking our bank. I couldn't even look at it. I actually still have a hard time logging into all of our stuff now. I don't like seeing it. It gives me a lot of anxiety. So she is right. She did show me that. Uh, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I was not prepared. Yeah, wasn't prepared. And so? And so that was January. And so after months of Typically we give off, a uh, two weeks uh, or a month week, notice maybe. Yeah, two week notice month. I left May 25th. <laughs> and it was just another thing that I just, I didn't want to force it. I had put a lot of work into that campus the unknown was scary i had to start figuring out right insurance all the small business stuff that plus I was you were the man there and yeah i was, I was the boss like you know like i don't know like, you get president. Boss. Yeah, boss man with no window in his office it was awesome <laughs> in seattle but anyways moving forward i guess not anyways yeah. where was i you were talking about the job, so you finally quit. I finally, so, so I was sitting there, I'm sorry, babe. I was sitting there in my office, and then literally one day in April, it just hit me, mm -hmm. and I said, what are you doing? Like, I'm literally here. Every day I'd be like, did you put in your notice? Did <laughs> and, you put in your notice? And I have my family at home that I could be with. What am I doing? But I wanted to finish what I committed to. Finally, one day in April, it just, it finally said, Michael, you're, you've done all you could. And so I called my boss and said, we got to talk tomorrow, and she knew. She was not happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we talked and I explained to her, I did not want to leave my campus until they found the right fit. Mm -hmm. And and that was a non-negotiable for me, that I would stay on and give them all the time they needed to find the right person for this campus because I had built it specifically for my leadership style. Yeah. And we were thriving. We were one of the only campuses in their whole system that was winning awards. We were recognition department of education we were doing great things in the community so i stayed on and finally in may they just asked me to leave i had to give them a deadline so they said yes go ahead and we need you to leave by the 25th i leave my last days the 25th it was a hard day they still hadn't found a replacement i'm with lindsay two weeks later the entire college filed bankruptcy and went out mm. and it still kills me to this day that my former staff members think that I knew about it and that yeah. I knew what was happening. Twice. And, and I twice that happened. on the hook. Yeah, twice. And it wasn't. It was yeah, just it because know. I listened to what I was asking for. I asked the question. I got the answer. And, and I then listened. you listened. And that's really what it was. And it's unfortunate, but it was another God thing in my life that, thank God, Lindsay started this other business. Because the timing was so perfect that if I would have been laid off, I don't know where I would have gone. The right. education sector, private education sector at that time was cutthroat. I mean, there was a lot of qualified unemployed individuals. Mm -hmm. It would have been a battle again. Yep. It would have been back to square one. And, yep. and ooh, that month, that's heavy. that month of May, I think was the first, was that the first month I made six figures in a month? Yes. I think it was. So... My paycheck the month that he finally quit had climbed from 20000 a month in January to six figures by the summer. 
And so we were sitting pretty for the first time. We were not only saving, we were saving a lot. And we finally were like, oh my gosh, this house thing could actually happen. Along the way here, I started building side businesses off of this main one. So then the main business is kind of taking off. That's the one that's bringing in the six figures. And I'm using that to kind of create something else on the side. I'm creating a marketing company. I'm creating a physical print company. I was creating a bunch of other ways to meet my people's needs as spin-off businesses, right? And these are kind of things that are just coming to me because they're meeting needs, not because I need more money. I didn't. It was because I found an opportunity to be able to help more people, which in turn put more money in my pocket. It was an amazing thing. So that's why when people tell you it's not about chasing the money, it's about meeting needs, they're being serious. That's the truth. The truth is the more needs that you can meet, the more money you will make. That is just how this works. They need your product, therefore you get paid to provide it. And you should get paid. (laughs) Let me be very clear about that. You should get paid. We are not here out of the goodness of our heart to do things. There are some people that are. If that's your mission, I think that's awesome. That is not most of our missions. Most of our missions need to pay our bills at the same time, right? And so we built our house on that we built our house in cash the house that we live in now we bought in cash we stroked a check for it one day and that felt so good afterwards it felt good afterwards writing the check felt very scary (laughs) (laughs) seeing the money come out of our bank account was also very scary but walking into a house into a house that we own they gave us the keys and the deed (laughs) all in the same day there is nothing that feels like that until we bought someone else a house. That was pretty cool too. So this business takes off. We're doing really well. We can live anywhere we want to. We moved to Utah for a little bit to be closer to the home office of the product that we were selling. This business kind of starts to self-run, which is awesome. We've built it so that it kind of takes off on its own and we have more time to dedicate to be able to help female entrepreneurs. Michael has already kind of explained to you that he's got this soft spot for women. He was raised by a single mom. He has lots of sisters. He has all daughters and he's got me. The only male presence in his life are his friends and our dog. And, <laughs> and he's kind of kind of girly. <laughs> he just sleeps. He just sleeps. And, and stinks lazy. Like so we have a spot for women and I love women. I love what women can do. I think that we are underutilizing women in our culture, in our neighborhoods, in our society, in our lives. Thousand we are underestimating and underutilizing what women can provide. And I want what you have in your heart. Whatever product or service is inside of you, I want to be able to buy it, use it, help it to make my life better. But I can't do that if you stay scared or you say no. Boxed in. You have to say yes to it. And for the most part, you're going to have to say yes to it when your kids are home. So I'm finally feeling fulfilled in my work. So fulfilled that I start to kind of like shut everything else out. Every other part of my life out. And one day Michael has to sit me down and say, hey, I think you've become a workaholic. I think you need some counseling. And that was two years to the day after I started my business. It was the day that we promised we would sit down, which was March 25th. We decided we would sit down two years from the time that I started my business and have a conversation. If what I was doing wasn't working for our family, then I would walk away from it. So on that day, he said, hey, look, what you're doing is working. It's working too much. You're working too much. You need to come back to us. Like we need you now. Your kids need you. I'm your husband. I need you. Your friends need you. You're spiritually not taking care of yourself. You are physically not taking care of yourself. 
You're sitting at your office all day and it's not working. And you're not getting sleep. Yeah. And so this ends now. This is no longer working for me and you made a promise and therefore I had to keep it. And so that's exactly what I did. I made a counseling appointment that week and I started seeing a counselor and cutting back my work hours and being really regular on the times that I work. I stopped working past 5 p.m. I stopped working in our bed because I was taking my laptop to bed every single night. I stopped waking up at 7 a.m. and pulling my laptop onto my lap and working. Yeah. I just really kept regular business hours. And honestly, it was the right transition time. It was time for me to kind of step away and start focusing on a bigger picture. And that again, this is a God thing. It's like God speaking to me through Michael and telling me this is no longer your path. We're pivoting here. And so we did that. And I started kind of focusing a little bit less on my MLM business because that was kind of taking off and it was self-sufficient. And I started focusing on how can I help people replicate what I've just done? Because when you can take the money problem off your plate, you can start focusing on the other things, right? And I want women to be financially secure. And so I want to help women do that. And so that's exactly what we started doing. We started doing the podcast. I started writing a little bit more, started looking for media, ways that I could get out in front of people. I started writing books. I got an agent. I started publishing my writing. I started focusing on my social media. I wrote Getting Notice, which was a little book. And then I actually got a publisher and wrote a traditionally published book called Boss Up. And so all of those things kind of spur from this place of pivoting from just focusing on this one business to being able to take that money that we had gotten from that business and use it to affect people on a larger scale. And so that's kind of what our mission is now. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. We, we live in Colorado in that same house that we bought. We purchased a house, 10 houses down for his mom and his stepdad where they live and they watch our kids when we travel. It's the most amazing setup. Our kids are homeschooled. Their teacher comes here to teach them. It's not something that I am capable, competent for or want to do. And so therefore I am not their teacher. And so they uh, travel with us. <laughs> they travel with us. We have really great vacations at times when other people are in school. It works for us, but our life looks different. In all ways, our life looks different than average. And so I know this is a long-winded story. We're, We're an hour in. I know this is long. And if you've hung with us, I hope that you've heard some of the struggle that we've had and have been able to connect it to your own. Because what we really want to do is now take these lessons that we've learned and break them down for you and show you how you can apply them to your life. And as you can see, we've done everything from be broke to be millionaires from having a business that fails to having a business that thrives without what it feels like even having to try. Yeah. Uh, we've gone from we've, regular yes. vanilla sex yes. to like amazing mind blowing sex. Sex. Yes. I mean, we've gone from, I mean, uh, you name it. Overweight you to healthy. Like we have made a transition in all parts of our lives. Yeah. And so what we talked about is kind of surface level. You're going to hear these stories again, but we're going to dive deep. You're going to learn a little more about me and a little more about Lindsay. I came from growing up with a single mom and sister living in his mom's childhood bedroom. That was a dirt farm in Arizona surrounded by trailers. Mm -hmm. Very poor. We both dealt with abuse. We both dealt with feelings of abandonment. We both dealt with feelings of having to raise ourselves. Am I enough of feeling like we wouldn't belong to the world that we grew up in? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about a lot of those things. A lot of like our childhood traumas that have followed us to adulthood. And honestly, the traumas that we created in right. adulthood that we still have to get through. And so that how way our all kids don't have to get through it when they're adults, right? Yes. And then we just keep this cycle going. Yeah, and we're going to end this cycle. This is what started this podcast is Lindsay and I have been doing some really hard, deep work because it's like everybody gets to this point in their life when their kids are out of the house and they're retired that they're like, okay, now it's time to work on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 
you yeah, know, you missed. Un- all unfortunately, the time there to was some it. damage that because you didn't fix yourself yet that you put on your kids, and yeah. now your kids are going to have to wait till they're old enough to fix their stuff, right? Just yeah. like we're old enough. We're trying to stop that for our family. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I could make our girls happy, and I'm sorry, even oblivious to some of the world's hurts, yes. that's fine by me. Because you know what? It's going to be out there anyways when they open that door. I might as well let them think everything is happy <laughs> and sunshine indoors and that they're safe and they're loved. Yep. And we could deal with that stuff. As long as Lindsay and I teach them right, give them the right tools, they'll handle the world. Right. No reason for my 9 and 11-year-old daughters to understand what the heck's going on out there right Right, now. absolutely. They can't do anything about it, so why get them all stressed? Exactly. What's and, that going to do? And they're taking so much of how to handle crisis from us right Exactly. Now. All you're doing is paying a counselor in 20 years. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so now you've kind of gotten our story. You kind of understand where we've come from. We've kind of been through ups and downs in all parts of our lives. We've been through some really happy times and some really low stuff. And I hope that you will come back and hang with us for a certain amount of time each week as we kind of unpack different parts of our lives and the things that we've learned and hopefully help you to live a more happy and fulfilled life. Yeah. And I'm just glad I get to do this with you. Me too. I love you. Love you too. All right. Hope you guys enjoy this. Sorry. Hour and 10 minutes. Hope you stick with it. (laughs) Stay with us. There will be a lot more. This is just kind of like, hey, you want to get to know a little bit about our background? Yeah. Uh, We get asked often about our backgrounds. This is the best place for us to put it. So we love you guys and we will see you next time. Yeah. Stay home. Stay safe. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Boss Up Podcast. We are so excited to share our lives with you every single week. We hope that the content we produce creates in you a desire to live a more happy and fulfilled life whether that's for your health, for your family, for yourself, or for your marriage. Whatever it's for, we're here for it. Whatever you want from your life, we want that too. If you want more information about us, you can find me on my website at uh, lindsaytm.com or on Instagram. My handle is at lindsayteague. And at Michael R. Moreno. We would love to connect with you guys out in the wild. So come and find us uh, and feel free to email us with any questions that you guys have. All right. So episode two, we've made it through. I hope you guys enjoyed learning a little bit more about our story. We are going to play a quick three round. Would you rather? And we will maybe get to know each other a little bit better. <laughs> All right. Here we okay. go. Oh, these, these two are a doozy. Okay. <laughs> First one, you know, everyone's future and it's not looking good. Okay. Or, or you have to hunt and publicly kill baby seals for sport oh oh that's okay i know all the future and it sucks you know everyone's future and it sucks or i have to kill a baby seal no you publicly hunt and kill baby seals like that's what you do oh i would be miserable doing that i'd rather know the future (laughs) i know know everyone's future i'll know it's gonna be shit and i'll just deal with it (laughs) Well, she took one for you, baby seals. <laughs> I just don't think I could do it. Yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> They're so cute. It's pretty brutal, man, but that I don't would know not if I could understand fulfilled. everyone's future. That would... I can still be fulfilled and know other other people's future. Man, I wouldn't sleep. I would just have to find the people <laughs> that had a good future. All right. Okay. Second would rather... question. Would you rather wear a slutty French maid costume whenever you leave the house? <laughs> oh. Or, elderly people seek you out in order to die in front of you. Oh. Oh, that's brutal. (laughs) Oh, that's just not cool. 
I mean, I don't want to see anybody die in front of me for real. Every had to wear older that. people seek me out to die in front of me, or I wear a French maid outfit. I mean, I better get in the gym. I'd wear it with a <laughs> smile. I'd get the gym, and I would wear that French maid outfit like a mug. I'd even wear it. I'd even wear it. <laughs> okay. Finally. And finally, the last question. Would you rather enter the Hunger Games with everyone in this group? This group? My room? I guess. You and me? You and I. You and I in the Hunger Games? Yeah, no. That's I'm not... definitely not going to okay. do that. Okay. Or <laughs> text your friends every time you masturbate. Oh, I would definitely do that. I don't masturbate that often right now. But even if I did, I got nothing to hide. So I would do that. Yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> My friends would probably be like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I don't want to Hunger Games you. I'm definitely not going to Hunger Games you. No, dude, I'll just, I'll, I'll jump in. Do a in. suicide pact. There you go. It'll be awesome. I'm down. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank only you guys. Only if we're in the Hunger Games, though, people. <laughs> only Hunger yeah, Games. Yeah, only in Hunger Games. God. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you know us a little bit better, including my masturbation schedule. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll talk to you guys next week. 